I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We would like to be offered a Ferrari 456M GT manual. UK right-hand drive, Manish? Please, please. Fine. If you have one, get in touch with us. With warranty. With, with, <laughs> with, with warranty. <laughs> yeah. Needs to be one owner from new, 5,000 miles, yeah, green over tan. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. There is still no new name. However, JLR has announced it wants to kill the name Land Rover, which we all think is utter madness. We'll discuss that after I've apologised in advance for the fact that we're recording this on Zoom and it might be a bit what the text call glitchy. I don't know what that means, but hopefully it allows us to cock it up a bit and not get in trouble. Um, JLR is going to ditch Land Rover. Or then they then they posted a story the next day saying they weren't going to ditch Land Rover. Um, Chris Cooper, uh, can you summarise the shambles for us? Uh, it's a shambles. <laughs> uh, can I say more? Uh, so... I was trying hard to think about, there are very few automotive brands that have quite the longevity and the authenticity and the originality. I'm I'm sure all of us, and I'm sure most people listening will know the story about two lovely chaps sketching out in the sands on a beach in Wales, the classic shape of a Series 1 Defender. And it's kind of, it's it's the 911 shape. It's the 911 shape for something which isn't a 911 in a way that even a Golf doesn't really have. So the Land Rover brand is, you literally couldn't make it up. It's its original, it's authentic, and it gives credibility. I can see the problem they thought they were trying to solve. The problem they're trying to, they thought they're trying to solve is, we've got this thing called Jaguar Land Rover, and they kind of almost made it worse by having these wonderful new showrooms, all of which are going to have to go now, if you read in the trade mags inside the dealer, I mean, Edward, you probably see this stuff as well. There's, you know, lots of people spend a lot of money on stuff which isn't going to last much longer. So they had two businesses and it's really just one business. So I could see they wanted to create one business. 
but to come up with JLR, and it's like sort of the worst excesses of the early 2000s when these meaningless names, Consignia, everyone remember Consignia? The post office. Post office, yeah. yeah. How long did that last? Mm-hmm. And I hope JLR will last even less time than that. There's a problem with the Jaguar brand, and we've talked about that before, but I have to talk about it again. Some of us were at the Bista Heritage Scramble this weekend. Wonderful event, if you haven't been. It's just wonderful. Really, really uplifting, optimistic. Great. And there was a sponsored chap there. By, from the, sponsored by uh, an auction platform called Collecting Cars, I gather. It was indeed. It was indeed. Yeah, some people were even wearing their clothing, which would have been lovely to have worn, but, you know, none was available. It's coming. Um, and there's a guy from Jaguar Heritage Trust there who was saying, I got two of my sons are working there, lots of amazing product coming. So we hope, you know, we remain optimistic about Jaguar as a company. But talk about tying both hands behind your back. I mean, what I think they've explained is that the little oval with the sort of the, the Land Rover symbol, that sort of Z-shaped symbol, sort of the, that will survive. But no, it's it, it's a systematic, self-inflicted act of corporate kamikaze. Is there anything to do with, and it's only just come to my head, that the Grenadier, the first customer deliveries are about to start happening? Yep. And they obviously lost a case against owning the shape in, oh, in the same way oh, that 911, I think, owned the, uh, the silhouette of a 911. They, they did, but I, I, I actually don't think the Grenadier and Ineos is a threat to Land Rover because the breadth of the Land Rover brand now is so much bigger. So, no, I think. It's not an all farts thing. It's not an all farts thing. Every, every, you know, young people, I know that they may not think they, you know, people don't look for Land Rover, look for Discovery or Range Rover online, whatever it is. That's, you know, it'd be like Mercedes saying we don't need, or BMW saying we don't need a corporate brand anymore. Um, like Porsche saying we don't need, we just need 911. I mean, no, nobody thinks this way. So um, Adrian Mardell, you know where we are. He's the new current CEO. They don't seem to last very long at the moment of JLR. Uh, all of us are available. and. We are passionate and optimistic. We want to help. We're not trying to chat. We're not trying to criticize. We want to help, but we feel strongly about this. I'm not available because I know nothing about running a car company, by the way. Everyone else here is a grown up. I haven't got a clue. I, I, <laughs> piss, I piss it up the wall in five minutes. Neil Clifford. Is this another April Fool's? Are we just doing April Fool's jokes every, every week? Because I didn't know about the JLR thing, Chris. If, if the JLR thing, as in the badge and JLR, if that is the new company and the new brand name, that sounds to me like it's a cost-cutting thing, that we've got two marketing people, two directors of production, two, oh, two, very two. Very good. So yeah. That- yeah, that's okay. That's okay. You can have, I mean, lots of organisations have decided that you've got product lines or whatever, and you can, mm. that's the whole point of having, you know, VW trying to buy his businesses what an Octavia is, a Golf is, a Seat is, a whatever it is. That's fine. And they've been doing that, trying to do that for some time. Platform but, sharing, they call it. Yeah, that it's platform right? sharing. Yes. You know? And um, you see, you know everything about the currency, Chris. He does. You can do When we go there, he's, you're going to be with us. So it's, the, it's a corporate identity, I kind of get it. And I spend some of my professional life looking at stuff like this. But to have lost and, and have ditched so much of the equity, it's, it's credible and authentic. And you look at that badge, you know exactly what brands mean. When people look at the words, and you know, it creates a set of feelings and images and impressions which are really, really hard to build and and, and very expensive to build. And by wounding it, so yeah, I think it's. I thought Chris's analogy last week about Mini of the 
the new lions taking over the pack, I thought was a very good analogy because maybe it is about 35-year-old millennials who are now in positions of directorships at these companies and looking at the Google searches and saying, well, no one ever Googles Land Rover. So That's why the, the fuck That's do we need story. Land Rover? Everyone searches for Dis Discovery and Range Rover and Defender. So that's the brand name. Because there's a little bit of Land Rover in each of those product lines. And to bring oh, I'm, it to not, life, I'm not justifying it, Chris. I no, no, I'm saying stupid, but, I'm, but I think you know, that maybe that's is, how they've got to the thinking. I th I'm sure you may be right, Neil. But, but I, I, and I would say that, you know, from our point of view, and this is free advice, very good people who are all very, very competent people trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. This is our passionate reaction to it. That there's a bit of Land Rover in each of those product lines. And if you lose somebody thinking about what makes a Land Rover a Land Rover, whether it's manifest as a Range Rover or a Discovery or Defender, something's gone out the door and that ain't good. You know, I mean, we, um, we should be consulting. I own a Series 1, a Series 2, a Series 3, three Defenders, three Range Rovers. So if anyone actually needs a bit of help on what to do with this bloody thing. Like the only person here needs help is you, mate. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I, do, I do need some help. It's clear. No, I was going to say, I mean, would you, it's a, it, what you're saying, Neil, is sort of quite analogous to um, somebody at Eon Productions uh, turning around and saying, well, you know what? Nobody, nobody Googles James Bond. They Google from Russia with love or they Google the spy love me or they Google, yeah. you know, Skyfall. So guess what? We don't need James Bond. James Bond is kind of just this generic character who we mm. replace anyway. Yeah every few few years so let's just uh that's a really really good point and that also just the concept that you may well have two corporate entities having a little bit of a chat and the only compromise they can come well come up with is jlr which you know makes no sense yeah. if you are old yeah. i uh i find the whole thing quite baffling i remember a while ago i was asked to write something for, a, for i think probably a broadsheet i think it was more a newspaper than a magazine and i was asked to define what were the iconic cars that were still in production and then they were still making a Defender. And I could only think of three. They were the Porsche 911, the Caterham 7 and the, uh, the Defender because they had, they had lasted longer than anything else and they were so instantly recognisable that you could put them in front of non-car people and they'd know what they were. The Caterham yeah. probably tend, you know, a bit tenuous, but I still think it worked. I was very proud that two were British. Um, I think that when when Land Rover decided to not make something that looked like an old Defender, that was both brave, but I think it it probably helped them make this decision. Yeah, that's fine. But that, you know, in, in not having a car that looks like a Defender, you can argue they've lost the genetic link to that initial, that original vehicle called the Land Rover, and that that made it easier probably for some people in that company to to do this. I think the G Wagon is a great example of a of a product that you know, shame, shamelessly looks like something from the 1970s, but works very, very well for them. I'd love to know what the numbers are on G-Wagon versus Defender. I suspect the G-Wagon might outdo it in terms of yeah. making money. But um, it's it's just another death by a thousand cuts. And also it just means that we all don't understand what's going on at JLR. Move the conversation on to Jaguar now. Jerry McGovern's going to be tasked with, with making uh, a new load of Jaguars, a family of Jaguars that are going to be electric and hugely expensive and long wheelbase and luxurious. I just, I'm not sure the world gives a shit anymore. I'm not sure the dealer network will know what to do with them. 
it's a great shame. I want Jaguar to succeed, but but I just don't see it to the point where when I hear you lot talking, I think to myself, why not just kill Jaguar and make a Range Rover saloon car? Maybe that would probably sell better. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting question. Thing. It's a really interesting question, and I again um, the risk of over egging how wonderful the, the scrambles are at Bista. There were there was a, an XJS, one of the Tom Walkinshaw XJS race cars that was on pole at Bathurst in the mid eighties, and Tom Walkinshaw and Win Percy's name on the side of it, original car. And you thought, and there was somebody had an X, a Mark One XJ twelve, sort of late early seventies. Beautiful thing. Number of other um, XJ12C coupe. Lo lovely, lovely things. You think, Mikey, you lose that at your peril. There's a loss in that. And I'm I'm actually hopeful that what a lot of what Jerry McGovern did at Land Rover, like he, he was conspicuously anti what a lot of what he thought Land Rover as a brand stood for. So some of you may have noticed a few years ago, you couldn't order a green Discovery because I think there was some metropolitan old greens about countryside. We don't do countryside. We want to be... That was stupid as well. They had seven greys. Yeah. <laughs> we, we like green because it's a nice colour. Mm. Not because we're from the countryside, although personally, I think there's nothing wrong with the countryside. So I'm optimistic. You've got to do something. You can't, you can't just... It can't just be a bit more. Landra Jaguar has got to be completely reimagined. It's got a wonderful brand. It's got very little else. So I would say it's worth a go. He's got to be bold. And what would Jaguar look like? You know, grace, pace, and space were its William Lyons watchwords. And you think in a modern world with an EV infrastructure and drivetrain. Has Giles, Corrin, has Giles Corrin killed the uh, the electric Jaguar forever, though? I mean, that story went so Yeah, that did. Wide. Yeah, they'll, they'll have to overcome that. But no, I, I'm a bit... I, it, it does sound a bit when you hear those stories, and I heard some of them this weekend and elsewhere. It did sound a bit like, oh, is Danny Baha back? Oh, jumping <laughs> him back. Yeah. Mad, seven mad. new Jaguars. They're all going to be the best in class. Yeah. Look, Jaguar's been rebooted more times than fucking Top Gear. It's um, it's it it. Take the hint. I just don't. I just don't think there's space there at the moment. I really don't. And we're looking at lots of brands in turmoil. Trying to resurrect that. I love Jaguar, but maybe the kindest thing you could do is just put it in a museum. Let us remember how great it was. Uh, maybe that's not insulting. Maybe the most insulting yeah. thing you can do is drag the bloody thing through another reboot. I think yeah. what the Chris, you say museum, I was just thinking of a wonderful thing an Italian said to me, who are very good at this shit, was if you have heritage, but without modernity, just dust, you have a museum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's what Jaguar have, and yeah. and I think the challenge for McGovern is to say how do those Jaguar values resonate? How do you manifest them in the modern world with the constraints of an EV? And if it's a good answer to that question, we wish it luck. We really do. I I, I think it's worth a go. I, I mean, I don't know what numbers look like. I imagine they're pretty scary, um, but it's worth a go. And I just think it would be if they thought it was too hard. Oh, it looks too hard. Can't give it a go. That'd be really disappointing. But you're right, Neil. If it's you can't do what, you know, rest his soul, Jeff Lawson, who was the designer at Jaguar before Ian Callum, that S type in the late 90s. I mean, it look, I mean, it just no, that was just backward looking. No, that was like a Chinese does Jaguar. That was one of my so that's the crazy thing is that was one of my first ever jobs in this industry, 1998. I remember going there with Mike Cross. Uh, Steve yep. Sutcliffe, Peter Robinson. We went to Wales to drive the S-Type Jaguar against all its rivals. 
We stayed at the Bear and Krakow. We used that Moor Road there for three days. It was quite rigorous in those days. That was Jaguar rebooting itself. It's been rebooting itself for 25 yeah. years. You can yeah. argue it's been rebooting itself since the E-Type. I wonder whether enough is enough. And I, I, I'm, I'm so fond of them, and I, I, I don't want those people to lose jobs. I just wonder whether the Land Rover, this is the crazy thing, the Land Rover Range Rover brand is so strong, that's where the money is. Pump it all into that. Make a Range Rover saloon car. It, yep. just, it, it would fly, I think. If you, yep. had, if you had everyone that wanted to buy a Range Rover had, were offered a, an EV that could do 200 miles an hour and was 250 grand, they'd all buy one. Yeah. So I, I, yes. I, I, I don't know, but I suspect that's what would happen. Um, okay, I don't like telling people how to run businesses because I'm crap at it. I got too close to it there. I'm going to have to go and wash my mouth out with soap. <laughs> Mo moving on <laughs> to a more important issue. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to stand on a soapbox to deliver this one. I've got a problem with leather seats. I can't think of a situation in which a leather seat is superior to a cloth seat. Other than now and again, they smell nice. And when the, when the hide is a very high quality and is waxy and soft, aesthetically, it is pleasant. But you slide around on them. They don't grip you very well. Sometimes they age poorly. Quite often the materials they use aren't as described, i.e. they're not leather, they're lubber, they're leathery rubber. Um, I, I don't understand the death of the, of the velour seat. It must be based on cost. But if you go back through time, if you go back to the great cars before the Second World War, all the interiors have fantastic fabrics. They have corduroys, they have velours, they have cloths, all of which grip a bottom, all of which wear with dignity, and remind me of, of, of great furniture in your house. A leather sofa is, I hate to say it, mostly naff. In your house, you have lovely fabrics and cottons and things like that. Why don't we have them in cars? Can someone help me explain this? Because I, I, I'm totally baffled. Chundering Manish, children. There is that. <laughs> Manish, Manish, you've got your finger in the air. Well, only, it's, it's anecdotal. I assumed, like every, well, I mean, I assumed that leather was, you know, the luxury item. It was what you were supposed to always have in any kind of car and it marked you out from the guys on the right and years ago I was very lucky because I met Richard Charlesworth who worked for Bentley and uh, Richard's ex-Air Force he had a lot to do with making sure the Queen drives around in a Bentley rather than a Rolls-Royce right now and he absolutely shocked me when he said that the interior of the Queen's Bentleys has been and always will be cloth and it will south, always be south of England cloth Exactly. And the whole thinking was that back in the whatever century, it was sort of grooms and people who rode on horses and did all that outside work who needed leather because it needed to be sort of bulletproof and weatherproof and so on and so forth. Mm. And that the Queen would probably never, would not bless her, have been seen dead in a car with leather seats. And so apart from Ed's argument about children throwing up in them, I think you're probably exactly right. Beautiful fabric seats probably are much, much nicer. And I wonder if, you know, can you imagine getting a beautifully bespoke, I don't know, um, Liberty print in your white Jaguar or something like that? I mean, that would just be stunning, wouldn't it? Pretty lateral and has got me thinking. So um, I mean, I think this stuff that shrinks over two or three years in terrible sun and when your bum's been on it a while, it starts to look like an army boot. You're right. Let's get rid of it. Edward, Edward, I only have leather. Love it. What do you reckon? I don't only have leather, but I do. Th I, I've got the um, the the 911 with the uh, 
houndstooth interior. The dogs jump in the car every day. And it, when it when it's raining, I have to sort of prepare myself for them to launch themselves over me because I know if the footprints go on the uh, on the houndstooth, it's not coming out. So th there is a practicality to leather that you can wipe down in an everyday car. But when I was looking yesterday at some of those photos and, and you know, some of the sort of period 70s and 80s Mercedes with those green oh, velours, they're, just they're beautiful. Gorgeous. And then and also things like S4 Stradales with the uh, Alcantara sort of new, but, you know, they're beautiful. As you say, they grip your bum nicely. Um, and actually, I guess if you go all the way back to the 50s in some of the period Ferraris with beautiful brown leather seats, that's one thing. But actually, you know, the ones with corduroy centers, um, 250 LMs, though, though with, with the blue, I don't know what that material is, but that sort of blue um, uh, fabric material, you know, they, they you're right, Chris, I, I'm... I support you. I'm I'm velour. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so I, I I'm with an awful lot of that. And I and I do think there's something about sort of late 70s and early Mercedes, the W116, the 450-6.9. And they would often be in a sort of a brownie metallic, goldy metallic with a brown velour or sort of slightly corduroy. And they look stunning. And it was, it was the case, I think, going back um pre-war uh rolls and bentleys and other coach built um automotive um monstrosities they the driver's seat would be upholstered in leather because it was cheaper and easier and more practical and as you say hmq's rear seats and hopefully um uh, his majesty's now will be the same so it was it was seen as a luxury item and that leather was more plentifully available presumably because of at the conventions of time so but there are some leather we like leather car you know you can slide in and out of them quite quickly you can easily they're quite they're quite and when they when they're nice they smell nice and that sort of beautiful ferrari leather i think looks really nice um no racing seat ever worked in leather you just get sweaty and slip around in it like a slippy one and that's gonna be so a nice fabricy clothy almost like velcro i mean we sort of nobody in a Very car nice. you want to drive fast would have a leather seat um so i i'm 80 percent, 90 percent, in support of your argument I'm not, so, I'm not so sure you would i'm trying to think actually the grenadier which i've uh, got coming in two weeks time i've got on cloth and there was the option of the leather recaro the, the seats are only recaro and there was, but that was another eight hundred quid or something. And I thought, no, this is this is a this. I'm pretending to be real. I'm pretending to be a farmer. I'm going cloth, heated seats, but cloth. Yeah. But in general, I'm not so sure you would if you were ordering a a Porsche or a Mercedes or. I think it'd be hard if it was a cloth option that was good. Whether you would go for it, I suppose Alpina, the Alpina cloth really jumps to mind, doesn't it? Yeah. The 80s yeah. job with the stripes. Um, but, a, but a G Series Carrera was nicer with cloth. You didn't slide around in it at all. Yeah, it was nicer. The, the, I mean, the, the club the club sports 3.2, as we've talked about before, yeah. is probably the best cloth seat ever. And it's the core... Raven something, was it? Raven, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and there were two. There were two actually. There was a lighter yeah. one, and then there was the pinstripe. There was the dark, almost Ooh. corduroy, yeah. with yeah. the red pinstripe. Or there was the very, very subtle check lighter grey. There was. I don't know why there were two cloth. That used to, the, the, the lighter grey one wasn't velour. It was more of a, a cloth. It was a cloth. Was. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, God, we sound geeky. But the other thing that was mentioned is temperature. You know, if you go to the south of France and you and you leave your, your car with a cloth seat uncovered or without nice. anything. You, you just get in it again, you're asked, you get a leather seat yeah. and you just get second degree burns at the back yeah. of your legs. Yeah. And I think one of the, this is quite interesting conversation because it does, designers of car interiors and seats, we're looking for a bit more imagination and creativity and elegance and beauty in the materials and design. Those Alpina, we're going to come and talk about it in a bit, you know, those beautiful shale, shield bucket seats that Alpina's have with those multi... I mean, if that was available today, and they're not, if that was available today, that's what you'd have in your Alpina. It's just so cool. So I've a bit got, more creativity. I've, I've I think in, my... in general, people are becoming far more creative, especially with the um, sports cars and supercars out there. People are becoming far more creative I know with someone the interior. That were, I know someone that worked for Aston Martin a decade ago um, on their interiors, and, and um, she was a pretty dynamic individual. She was looking to very what they call t- new technical materials to you know to offer for customers. But ultimately... There's such an association between leather and quality. It's, it's as bad. It's, it's the equivalent of the dynamics argument of firm suspension. and yeah. You know, it's become something that is just a fact now and you can't get beyond it. And it's such a shame. So if you don't have leather, your vehicle is going to be worth less. Um, but, I, but I almost I feel like, oh, my my late daddy, a bit of an apology, because one of the things that I used to rage against was he'd always have his little three series BMWs in total poverty spec. And I used to hate the fact you never have leather seats. But looking back, they were much, much cooler. They smart. I remember, remember cooler. him turning around to me and saying, if I have a leather seat, I just fall out of it when I go around a corner. What's the point? And I was like, yeah. no, you're just being mean. He was bang on. No, he's yeah, right. He, he, yeah, that, that, that 90s BMW cloth is magic. I mean, I do think the cord of, as you reference, uh, Ed, the 275 cord seats of the oh. Ferrari's 60s car or the Porsche, a little speedster, with a with a semi cord seat, I think cord. If cord came back, I'd be right at the front of the queue. You got cord. So the touring, the non eleven touring, they do what they call corduroy. It's not quite cord, but it's a it's a ribbed fabric. Yeah. Um, and I had those in my nine nine one. They were great. They were really good. I mean, if anything, in a, in a performance car, the bits that you're going to rub when you get in and out, make those a, give those a bit of leather because they'll wear harder. Uh, yeah. But the bit you're actually in contact with should be fabric, I think. I but think Neil, the Taycan's on, got um, a vegan thing, isn't it? There's a vegan cloth on the on the Taycan. Yeah. So Neil, you know what I was going to ask? You know about working with fabrics and materials like this. Do you think if people did have cloth seats, are these things easier to repair or re-upholster? I think there is a warranty and wear and tear issue here. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you're trying to give five years, seven years warranty, the last thing you want is a seat to have a big bloody worn patch. Yeah. Because you, I've, got a, you, I've you, got a buddy of mine who um who ordered one of those Ferrari 70th anniversary cars. Yes. And um, or I say ordered was probably asked that he suggested he should take it. Yes. It's got, <laughs> it's got that beautiful, it's got a beautiful, very it's a brown leather interior. But it's a it's an incredibly soft hide. It's like touching butter, you know. It's one of those beautiful hides. Semi aniline. Yeah, and he. Um, but the 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 paperwork with the car says there's no warranty on this. It will shrink. It's going to yeah, do all on the leather. Okay. So he had, had to pay more money for the car. I was told the interior will shit itself, and he's on his own. 
I was in, I was at Pebble Beach um, three or four years ago when they were delivering uh, a, a singer, a, a right-hand drive singer to the owner, and it was it was a lovely color combination. It was blue on the outside and had orange Alcantara on the inside with their woven leather. And I remember walking up to the car, and I'm I must have been. 50 meters away from it and the door was open and I could see from 50 meters away on the door on one little square of the woven interior that someone had obviously got a tiny bit of muck on there and they tried to clean it the car's now four years old and every time I see it you, you, you'd have to you'd have to just retrim the whole door panel yeah. That, that 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 is the issue, and I, you know, I started by saying, you know, ch- children chundering in the cars, but you know, Chris, you, you know, your car's got the dog jumping in and out of it. You know, that they would um, in the modern day life, in the way some of us use the cars, not not the perhaps the special cars that we treat slightly differently, but they'd get trashed. You can't I'm... rub them, you can't clean them up as easily. My cars are immaculate, Edward. You know that they're like yes, they're yes, spotless. yes. Please have a look at the photo of a Toyota here. Whatever. (laughs) But I think this is a good conversation. I imagine that the drapers of the world will be beating a path to our door very shortly because our creativity and expertise and our wide range of views, it's another another avenue, Edward, for you to employ us in. Well, we now want to order a Land Rover with a Land Rover badge on it in cloth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Green. I was about to say the Golf GTI is always launched with a tartan uh, yeah, um, cloth interior. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the golf, golf about, doesn't exist anymore. We're not allowed to talk about golf, sir, but you upset a load of people with that. Yeah, that, exactly. Alan wasn't here for that. We wouldn't E-40, be speaking I'll tell you what, there was, a, there was a, to finish the cloth interior thing, there was a car that wouldn't sell it was, and it lurked around the Dick Lavitt group for ages, a white E46 M3. Remember, it had a cloth interior. You could order... You could order an E46 M3 with a cloth interior, and it was so cool. No, about four people did in the UK, and there was a white one. That I bought. I bought that car, and it was on eighteen. It was on eighteen-inch wheels, manual in white with a standard interior. That was the Mark. Mark ended up buying that car. That was the perfect spec E46 M3. And who knew it was the best because it had yeah. a cloth interior? Right. Moving on to an even more important issue. This is important. Take it seriously, listeners, because I know my contributors will. Um, and they are, that is it. But what, what is your favourite Alpina? Ooh. Now, I reckon Neil Clifford has spent, I reckon I reckon he shut the business down for a day so he <laughs> oh. can tell this. <laughs> you know, I've, I, I've never owned an Alpina. Point what? Mark, what? Which, which I know is a surprise. Come on, mute him. Turn him off. Sinners have earned most. You've owned everything. Shit in the world. And I've just changed that. Come at this as a different way because it would be very easy to talk about the fabulous green B5 or whatever in green with the tan leather. And and actually, I decided to talk about the Alpina that I keep looking at that I will one day buy because I've got the itch like a bad case of 10 year old eczema. Which which I do have eczema actually, so I do know what that feels like, and it's not fun <laughs> when you're ten because you can't yeah. hold your tennis racket. But back to Alpina's, um, is the Z4. Now this is a bit yeah. of a loose conversation, but the Z4M Roadster S for fifteen grand, and there's always three or four of them. Unfortunately, they're all bloody black. If there was a blue one, I'd probably have bought it already. 
I think for 15 grand, I don't I don't think they did the coupe in an Alpina. I've never seen the No, coupe. they didn't. They didn't. No. no. And it wasn't an M, it was a 3.4S, wasn't it? Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because actually that coupe frankly is a better looking car than the Roadster. It's a really pretty car actually that that coupe. But I keep looking at the Z4 M Roadster S for 15 grand. And if they weren't all black, I would have one because I think it's a fabulous little thing. It's a sort of boxster alternative. Yeah. For, for 15 grand and magical engine. Lovely. Ma magical bloody engine. Manual. You get the little blue and red. I don't think that. I think it was auto too. only. I think it, it is. Auto it's all, that's the thing with that. Yeah. It's an auto only. Yeah. No, it's not. No, are you sure? Um, no, I've seen manual. You don't, yeah, that might just be one with a body kit and some badging on the back. No, I don't. I think it wasn't the auto only the Z8. Yeah, well, that, the Z8 no, was, that was definitely only auto. No, oh, Z8, Z8 Alpina. Z8 Alpina was auto, Alpina was auto only. Z8 Alpina was manual. That's no, it manual, wasn't. It wasn't auto. 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 Yeah, it was only auto in Alpina, but I think there is manual Z4 Roadster S. I will check that out. We'll check that out. Okay, well, he's gone for that. That's an interesting one. It is off piece. And it was, a, I remember the launch of that car. It sold really well in the UK. And I think it sold, I think the automatic gearbox was the reason why it sold well in the UK, because I think the, 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 the M, the Z4 M Roadster was a manual and was a bit of a handful and was quite edgy. And Alpina came out as ever with the more relaxed alternative stick it in drive it still went well it had a slightly odd alpina wheel it had remember it had sort of four spokes that went up it had the yeah. multi-parallel yeah. spoke yeah i've never yeah. liked that one um but it was interesting it was an interesting car we have i think we have one as a long term on auto car uh yeah. okay chris cooper what's your alpina so i love alpina i really love them um, you could have had a b3 convertible now so, okay let's just do with that now so the rest of the rest of my <laughs> colleagues had a lot of entertainment on sunday evening <laughs> Watching me comprehensively oh. cock up bidding for a really lovely B3.3 E46 convertible. Oh, no. Um, it went, it went actually for, uh, for the, the vendor and for you, everybody, I think, went for a pretty good price, just slightly more than I wanted to pay for, for that car. Um, and I had a B3.3 E46 saloon, actually, a year before that was a 2000, which I really, really liked. Um, Alpinas are really, they're originally a Dutch family went to Germany, um, a number of industrial interests, and Buchard Bovensiepen, I think that's pronounced about his surname, he, very, very keen wine enthusiast. So the, the, in fact, I think the vineyards of Alpina will outlast the car company. Probably everyone knows that last year, BMW yeah. announced that they're buying, or rather, the Boven Seepen family announced they're going to sell out the Alpina brand and business to BMW. I think there's two or three years left to go. And I think the argument is the, the, the essence of what Alpina is kind of only really works with internal combustion engine cars. And so where's it going to go? So they said, okay, that, that we're going to plan our exit. And, and I think the brand will continue, but what we know is Alpina probably won't. So That's so German, Chris, isn't it? Just the concept that, they're looking into the crystal ball. They're just going to plan yeah. it. It's very amazing. It, I mean, probably I, sensible. I mean, Monkey, yeah. you've met Andy Bovensiepen probably more than I have. Uh, he's sort of about our age. He now runs a business. He's very, very good driver. Very, very good racer. I think he's won. He won the Nurburgring twenty-four hour race. He's proper oh. peddler. Um, he won it in a diesel. 
in a diesel. Yeah, um, an E36 diesel. So, the, so you asked the question. The first one that I remember thinking, what is that? Was B9 3.5, early 80s, mm. with those wonderful interior. We talked about it earlier, those wonderful interior mm. colours. B9 3.5 was manual. I think 60-odd came to the UK. Quite a few stood around. Uh, JK had one, didn't he? I think it was sold a couple of years ago that looked really, really lovely. Um the E38, again, sorry about this. At Bista, it's really it's so many different things there. At Bista on Sunday, somebody had a beautiful E38 B7, B12. It's a V12 version. How many are you going to reel off here? You're only allowed yeah. to choose one. No, I've got to wait there. An E38 is a B12, not a B7. Sorry, B12. It was a B. It says. Does it say it's a B7 or B12? No, it'll say it'll say it'll say B12 5.7 on the right. Back. Yeah, right. Well done for paying attention to the back. It was B12, seven series, B12. Um, that was stunning. But actually, my favourite is a current one because I think it's just the epitome and the essence of Alpina and it won't be around forever, the B3.3 Touring. Yeah. I think, in fact, I might just go and order one for when they run out. out. So B3.3 Alpina Touring, clear glass, green. These days, without the decals down the side, it doesn't quite work these days. Did work in the older ones. Absolutely wonderful car. All the car you ever need. How, how many will they make, Chris? The B3 Touring, they'll probably make... They, have, they each have a little plaque. You probably know this, little plaque with which one it is. And I've never seen any of them with more than a, you know, hundreds, not thousands. So yeah. I think Because there's now an M3 Touring, that, that will hit the numbers massively. So that, yeah, it'll be a rare car. They're so... I mean, if you like the B3.3 Touring, you look mm -hmm. at the M3 Touring and think, what's that? I would. I'd like to put in a small request, if anyone from Alpina is listening to this podcast, please can you improve your website? Oh, no, because the, com the configurator is literally designed in 1997 and, uh, and hasn't been upgraded. Yeah, you, you And I'd like love to go on there cool. and play around, but you can't, basically. It's like written MS-DOS. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you do know about technology. It's all a lie. <laughs> It's Windows 3.11. He's got, he's got it all. Yes. I was a computer sound That's not a surprise. Yeah. It comes out. Ed would love it. Uh, and we're not, we're gonna, we're not going to talk about the bloody B5. Which <laughs> I've got so that what, written down, but that's not my choice. Alpina? So I, so I've got a funny relationship with Alpina, and, and I'll tell I'll tell you why. And it's it, it, Chris obviously just talked about the the wine connection with Alpina, but I used to go to the Geneva Motor Show uh, with my father when I when I was a young chap, and we we were one of a few Alpina dealers in the UK. At Bristol was one of our dealerships, and Bernard. Um, Bovin Seepen at the time gave us a uh, a um, bottle opener, which um, my my family home out in in the Cotswolds. I whenever we need to open a bottle of wine, you always go to the same place in the kitchen to get the bottle opener, and it's the same bottle opener we've used as a family to open every bottle of wine in the house since my father was given that, and I'm guessing that. That was probably 20 years ago now. So I have this funny relationship. That's and a then story. I love that. And, and actually, it was probably Alpina that 
got me introduced to Chris because we had um, a five series, uh, I probably green Chris, 3.3, three, five series estate Alpina with, with the decals down the side, which Chris came in and bought uh, on behalf or for his mother. Um, and that, that's right, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it was silver. Yeah, yeah silver. Didn't, yeah. Get much of, didn't get much of a deal. You had my bloody trousers down. Yeah. There. Anyway, that was that was your mother's daily line. daily driver. It, it it was uh it was it was brilliant. But Sitna ended up taking the Alpina franchise for yeah. the UK and ended up selling it out of one or two of their dealerships, which I thought was a real shame. And and to be honest with you, quite frankly, as a as a family, we kind of lost the connection with Alpina. I was never going to be driving around in Alpinas. Funny enough, my father's actually just bought one of those B3s as his yeah. everyday car, which I think he just went on to Auto Trader, which I'm, I'm not sure would have pained him or not, but went on to Auto Trader, onto the Sitna website, and bought one off his competitors because that, that's who had it for sale. Yeah. Um, in terms of the cars themselves, it's a Jägermeister three liter CSL Batmobile BMW yeah. Alpina. That's yeah, the, yeah. that's cool. I, that's very I know, cool. I know that. I know that's not a road car, and I could give you lots of reasons why individual road cars are cool. Yeah. But I just think that particular yeah. car, and it was yeah. it was at an event at Silverstone last year when I was there. Patrick Blakeney Edwards was pedaling it around uh, Silverstone. Sounds bloody brilliant. It's a very very quick car. The orange one. Um, the yeah, orange, the, the, the orange one. And I, and I well, just, just to touch on one final thing, without naming a car, what they've done, we, I think you talked about this, Chris, last week or the week before with BMW, how, you know, the SE doesn't look great. So it sort of, it means everyone chooses the BMW M. But Alpina did this great thing with a tiny, simple lip spoiler, some very simple exhausts on the back, and and some side sills probably and a, and a steering wheel and some stitching on the seats that made an se look so much better than an m yep. sport exactly. um, i totally agree yeah, yeah. and and, and you know things like the z4 that you mentioned which looked okay as a as a normal bmw car but just a couple little design tweaks from alpina made it look like a totally different package yeah yeah, but Manish, you you probably sitting there on Sunday when I was setting this out saying, "What is an Alpina?" No, no, <laughs> no. Auntie Google solved all of those problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, you no, get your Auntie, chance, what, what, you get your chance to make us look silly in a minute on F one. You're the you're the man. Carry on. No, no, no. But what what I actually found enormously enjoyable about this particular little section is just. Edward having two interesting relationships with dot dot dot. I want to know how many bottles of wine you think that is, Edward. <laughs> 20 years, you've got this lightweight alloy, presumably beautiful Alpina thing with a little go faster stripe and a little badge, and there are only eight of them in the world. Uh, quite a lot. <laughs> the, the actual screws are a little bit bent now as well, which is very frustrating. So it doesn't shut perfectly. <laughs> you need to send it back. You need to send it back. I mean, we're oh, no, all so, very oh, no, tempted no, no. on this new B5 GT, aren't we? There's there's one of fifty. Not a lot of money though, boss. A lot of money. One fifty. Really? M5, oh, M5, yeah. There's no way it's better than an M5 CS. It's not possible. There isn't a better car. Yeah. 150,000 pounds. Uh, actual pounds. Yeah. yeah. 
Manish, no, tell so, us what your favorite my, Alpina my is. Favorite, 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 favorite Alpina. BMW B7 Turbo, the E24 one. Oh, yeah, Turbo Coupe 182. So pretty. And I think that's a good call. the very last of those, 300 yes. and something horsepower, and they had a variable boost. And, ev and everyone thought the, B, the, the B10 by Turbo in the E34 shape was the was the, the craziest thing they've made. But that car was like seven years before and it wasn't far off on power because Alpine turbocharged a lot more than people thought in the early yeah, 80s. Yeah, they did. That's a great shout, Manish. That was a six series shape one, wasn't it? The shark yeah, exactly. six yeah. series. Yeah, they did, yeah, the, I mean, they did the seven great. series as well. With yeah, that yeah. But the six series, oh, yes, yeah, a very good call. Yeah. Okay. Like um, and they had one at the Frankfurt Motor Show in green with a tan yeah. interior about yes. 10 yes. years ago when yeah. they were launching the new B6, I think, or B8. Yeah. So um, just on the Alpina, so obviously, Edward, on your side at the moment, there is a 2016 B7, so the 7 Series with the twin turbo V8. And that will come to fruition next weekend, this coming weekend? Hold on, caller. So I think it's Sunday oh. or Monday. Anyway, yes. so I'm saying everyone can watch that and me not yes. that one as very well yeah. either. I yeah. don't think you should be buying that one. There she is. There That's she it. is. Yeah. That's got a story that thing has. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll just, um, uh, I don't know where to start with Alpine. I, I adore the things. There's D3 for you there as well. Not my yeah, that was that's that's just a that's a that's a fake Alpina, really. Um, <laughs> the I don't know where to start with the Alpina thing. I, I don't want to spoil Edward's sense of feeling that he's um he's got an object of some value, but I I have the same bottle opener. I, that's probably a shattering revelation, but I, no. I do have one. Um I went to uh my first Alpina event was for the D10. So people forget that Alpina were all pioneers. The, the, the B10 was already a, an E39 5 Series selling well, and they, they put in the world's first high-performance diesel engine in this car, 240 horsepower, unheard of then. It was 100 more than just about any other diesel, and the thing would run to 160 miles an hour, and they launched it at the Geneva Motor Show at, at Divon Les Vins. You went over the border, so I blagged a Volvo from a press trip, and I went over the border, to go to this plan. I'd never met Mr. Bo Burkhard Bovens even before. I'd never met anything to do with them. They had a Chateau. They had a B10, a D10 outside. We went in, had lunch, and Mr. Bovens even just gave you some of their Alpina wines. I got it a bit wrong because I I just loved it. These, I got to meet the, the Bovens even family. They talked about the cars. I could demonstrate that I was a nerd about all the history. They fed me wine. I drank too much wine. I couldn't drive back to Geneva to the motor show. I'd stolen this Volvo from a press junket. I got myself in so much shit. Anyhow, I dumped the Volvo. I managed to get a taxi back, which cost, I could have bought a car for that. Um, I then tried to bill Haymarket for that. It was an utter mess. But I did get that bottle opener that Lovett's got. And I have got it. At Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. So I'd say my, my favourite Alpinas are... B12. I, I've got a thing about the E38 B12 saloon. Yeah. We nearly nabbed one for the, for collecting cars. That black thing that was doing the rounds. I'd have bought that. What a car that is! Just ex Sultan of Brunei. What a story! <laughs> and they just that E38 shape with the big Alpina 20 inch rim. To me, they just set each other off perfectly. Um, but there is one particular car. B10s as well. I had lots of B10s. Love those B10 Tourings. But I think if you go back mid 80s. Car called the B6, 
uh, B6 3.5. So you take an E30 3 Series, narrow body. Yes, and remember that. 3.5 litre engine yep. from a 535i in it with a locking diff, black with the with gold stripes and with the green and blue seats inside. 250 horsepower, didn't weigh much. They did a thing called the B6 3.5S, which was an E30 M3. With, a, right. with that engine, engine. yeah. But that, but that nice engine was a bit heavy, and, and I don't think they handled that well. I've never driven one of those. But a B6 3.5 manual, if you've got one out there, bloody phone Edward Lovett now, and he will buy it for me as my birthday present for next year. How uh, how many of those were they made? Not many. A couple of hundred. How much do you reckon? Uh, 40 grand. There are people who want 60 grand, 70 grand for them, but it's a, probably a £40,000 car. As a I had 50 quid for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. think again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're with you, monkey. Now, thank you very much. Um, so, oh, I, that was a very enjoying, a very enjoyable section on, that was great. Uh, on Alpina. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. We might have to come back and do what's your second favourite Alpina? Oh, this please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on uh, to a bit of F1 chit-chat. Is there anything on your mind this week, Manish? I've got a few things on my mind, particularly with, with regards to Mercedes structure, but I know you'll have a few things to say. Carry on. No, the, the, so the, the main thing on my mind is an article again in the race yesterday about the the kind of quote unquote failure of succession planning at Mercedes because um, there's been a little job switch and uh, Ferrari refugee James Allison back in charge and that's um, not really what the article was about. The article was about you know has the subject is, is quite simple have. Mercedes had it too easy for too long and now they've actually got some competition now they can't just rely on the fact that they've got the best engine and an infinite budget you know um is Toto Wolff looking a little bit mortal and I think in 2020 he had a chance to walk away and he decided not to this is a great big challenge and um I have to say <clears throat> They are looking a little bit mortal. And I think, you know, what I always loved about Formula One was at the end of the day, it's a lovely quote from Frank Williams when he was really dominating in 1992. And he said, you know, people are sort of criticizing Williams for dominating, but I remind people that no one dominates in Formula One for very long. So we kind of enjoy it. And in those days, you did get these lovely kind of tidal movements you know when Senna and Pross were really kicking ass in the late 80s no one thought um, Williams was going to come along in the early 90s and dethrone them and then no one thought that Benetton was going to come and dethrone them and then you know we went back to Williams for a little bit but this big long Mercedes run mm. has not been something that I've really enjoyed because it has been for me a bit of a you know kind of a one horse trick you know you've got this spectacular change in i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In the engine rules. And, um, you know, we had a winning car. And now we've had a change in the rules again. And, you know, I... In our WhatsApp chat last night, you know, I found um, somebody took a photo of 118th scale Formula One cars. You just see how big they become. It's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll post it on this, I hope. And um, it is an aero formula. These are much bigger cars. And it is funny to see Mercedes struggling so much that they had this kind of long term plan and it's all kind of come undone again. And I, the question is, you know, James, can James Allison turn this turn this around? And um, how quickly would the cost cap? So I, I'm sorry, I sort of bang on about this all the time, but we've got five races in the next six weeks. And you can quickly see a scenario where what if Max wins the next three? Do you think anyone's going to watch races sort of, you know, four and five? It, it 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 is a it's it's funny that we found ourselves here. I guess that that that's my. Yeah. Story. Isn't it interesting that, that you I I I agree with you, and I, I noticed that I look at I've got a Times app that I use for most of my news, and I look at the other sites that are free, and I there's a total lack of Formula One news in this in this gap period. This it isn't resonating. It isn't competing with football. In, in 21, it was. In 21, when there wasn't a race on, there'd be two or three speculative editorials. There'd be an interview with, with someone from a team. They wanted to make sure that form, they knew that people was, Formula One was being reported on outside of the races. It isn't hitting the general media the way it was. Whether, that, whether they're being clever and they've worked out they'd rather be on social media and have a lot of representation on Instagram uh, and TikTok and other places, I don't know. I, I'm not getting an awful lot of surface thrown at me on, on Instagram at the moment. Yeah. Either if I am, it's Daniel Ricciardo racing a cow or something in a car, which but, seems to be utterly demeaning to me. Um, so, yeah, well, it is interesting. But, a, but the, well, I suppose why have we got this month gap? I don't understand why. It's China was cancelled. China was cancelled. So what we were supposed right. to have was um, China two weeks before Baku, but uh, yeah. they cancelled China yeah. very, very late. And just to, answer, to answer what Manish said, there which about domination and i think we saw this with sebastian loeb when he won nine on the trot in rallying it's difficult for a sport to survive dominance it's 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 a sad paradox of yeah. sport if someone dominates too long people lose interest but uh, strangely i think i had the same with tennis as well you know when federer was winning everything on his own or sampras on his own you needed a great rivalry at least in tennis they'd go head to head and there would be yeah. there would be some variation in outcome but isn't it true that the one, the one thing that's consistent about Formula One is if you've got the if you've got one of the two or three best drivers and you've got one of the and you've got the best car designer they're going to win that is true throughout history and, and that isn't that isn't changeable and we're and we're just seeing that at the moment aren't we it just so happened that Mercedes designed the best powertrain and and dropped it in a car that was fine and had the best driver at the time 
Red Bull, I think you could argue their technical achievement at the moment might be greater because they're, they've got a great powertrain. And clearly, Adrian's done something with the underside of that Red Bull that no yeah. one else can work out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, you, you're right. I think it's a natural rhythm of you know, once you're ahead, it's really hard for other people to, oh, let's go back to the factory and design a few more bits and put it on like you could have done in the 70s or, eight, or 80s possibly even the 90s. Now it's far too complicated because the margins are, and the modelling that's going on and the margins of incremental gain are so small that you can't just throw, particularly with the cost cap, you can't throw a performance at it. In that article, one related to it, managed, I saw there was some, uh, uh, Jody Eggington, AlphaTauri technical director was saying, our biggest concern is we build bits that we don't use because that bugs up the cost cap. And if we don't build enough of the bit and we go to, we go to a race like Baku is a sprint race this weekend. Uh, it's a standalone sprint that doesn't determine the grid order for the Grand Prix. Quali itself will do that. It's a new experiment. And some of the teams are worried that it will, well, the, the idea is it will encourage drivers to, you know, drivers don't need encouragement to win races. They just want to win races. Um, uh, at least that's what I did, Monkey. I don't know what held you back. You may have had a different view, but when I won my races, that's because I wanted to win races. Anyway, sorry, where was I? So, <laughs> but more importantly, the big story, the big F1 story that has definitely been on social media, Fernando Alonso and Taylor Swift. That's right, yes. My wife I mean, couldn't believe it. It's, um, it is is that a, serious? I thought that was a it's joke. It's a headline writer's. No. It's a headline writer's dream. It's, you know, whenever Taylor Swift's going out with somebody... There's like they concatenate, that means add together, monkey. They concatenate sort of part of the name of Taylor Swift. So when she was going out with Tom Hiddleston, it was Hiddle Swift. This yeah. is, it's just wonderful. Swift Alonso. I mean, just, he must be loving it. So that is this why he's been so happy? It's not to do anything this, with the racing car. Is this gun. real? Is this real? Who cares? Is this real? Who cares? It's fantastic. Be real. Oh, God. Is it's it? A, I think it's a, a rumor that my son raised, and then my wife zoomed off to Google it as soon as possible. No, it can't be. He's married. No, he's not married. He had a no. long-term girlfriend no, that he's just yeah. split from. He definitely has. I mean, God, we sound like Hello Magazine or worse, but right. that's a brilliant story. Nando, Nando having a dip in the Swift. I never <laughs> thought. I never thought I'd hear it. Well, fair play to you, Fernando. That I mean, not only <laughs> how quick you are, but you clearly have honed your yeah. Digit skills. Just, you know, did right. you see in the Times? Sorry, last week they um, they had uh, they had a little quiz, and it was uh, you had couplets from either Taylor Swift or William Shakespeare, and you had to guess which or which, right? And and some Oxford Don has said basically she is the modern Shakespeare because he had a crack at this, and then he got about half right. And you should have a, have a look, Google this. this is, I had to go. I thought, come on, like that. But actually, they're that's really brilliant. Hot. That's Are brilliant. you saying that if I said to you, Manish, shall I compare thee to Fernando's cock, you wouldn't work out where it'd come from? <laughs> no, we know that's we know that's you. That's a yeah, pretty that. Elizabethan to me, actually. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, had, I had dinner with someone in Miami that knows Lewis quite well. And he said that the Mercedes team are pretty confident that they will be on the podium every race for the rest of the season Ooh. and i think lewis will win this weekend so there's a little bow wow. that's a that's a bold statement i don't think this red bull thing is quite a done deal yet i think mercedes toto 
I think they're all a bit smarter. They're desperate, desperate to prove that that was not a one-off car. And I think they'll be working their asses off. And I don't think it's finished. I'll put, always I'll put Monkey's 50 quid birthday present for uh, on that with you, Neil. So that might then go to 100 quid, which will move me a little bit closer to his B6. Oh, I yeah. think you're going to get better odds than, uh, yeah, than you would. on Lewis okay. winning in Baku. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are they going to turn around the, the DRS performance of that um, of that? bloody Red Bull. I mean, it just looks like a bar of soap when he opens the back wing, doesn't yeah. it? Anyhow, I love it when Neil's right, and I wanted to be even more right this time. Thank you. Moving on. This is a random one. I just thought of it. It could be quite good fun. So, this is not an in-depth discussion about how car chases are made in films, but I want to ask, what is your favourite car in a film? It could just be a cameo. It could be a central role. It could be the fact that you still love Herbie Goes Bananas. I don't know what it is. Manish, what's your favourite car in a film? I was going to go really obviously because I love the Lamborghini Mura so much. It would have been so easy to say the beginning of the Italian job. And uh, it is such a beautiful beginning. Um, but for you film buffs, I really thought about where the car's character, apart from Herbie, is absolutely essential to storytelling. And in my opinion, it's actually Roger Moore's best ever film. It's made in 1971, or it came out in 1971. And it's a film called The Man Who Haunted Himself. Oh, Rover. What a great film. It's it a was a great film. It's not the Rover. It's the Lamborghini Islero. Oh. Yes. That makes it. So just in a nutshell, there's a bloke called Pelham. He's a little bit yes. boring and he's into marine engineering and he's a real bowler hat wearing, very sort of, you know, mustachioed, dull businessman in the early 70s. And something happens to him while he's driving his Rover he suddenly starts to almost race himself and he has this massive accident. When he's on the operating theatre table, suddenly his heart stops. And then when they get his heart started again, there are two ECGs and not one. And they think, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? And anyway, he, um, they manage to get him back from that. And um, he goes back to work, but there's a kind of, he has this feeling that there's a doppelganger because everywhere he goes to work, people have seen him, but not him, a kind of slightly more caddish him yeah and very. when he starts looking out of his window of his home <laughs> occasionally he sees the front of this beautiful silver Lamborghini is Lero and it's just it is the exact opposite car to everything that he is and I'm not going to bore you or rather spoil the end of the film because I think it's really worth seeing but this car in a way it, it it's everything and right at the end it's this car that chases him and causes him to to have a certain thing happen to him that makes him whole again. And I think the whole film is about British uptightness and it's schizophrenia and it's now 1970, it's not the 60s anymore. And who are we? Are we these uptight people who wear pinstripe shirts and pinstripe suits and bowler hats? Or do we wear pink shirts and paisley ties? And do we love Lamborghinis or do we love Rovers? It's such a great film. And this Lamborghini is integral to this movie and I've never seen one in a film before and I've never seen one in a film since and I found out today it sold a couple of years ago for 268,000 pounds wow so it's a hell Steel. of a car Edward's Steel. googling his Lero at the moment I can see it <laughs> yeah um, that's a lovely explanation and also it reminds me because I was watching a bit of the Persuaders um, the other day for the first couple of episodes that Roger Moore besides having the greatest eyebrows and the most expressive eyebrows in history, 
just loved dressing up. He loved, so he loved dressing, didn't he? he and he loved yeah. color. He, he was, he was everything. Have you was, seen in the he was Chris? At the end, it says clothes by Roger Moore. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. And actually, now I'm thinking about it, even though it's not a film, the that beige DBS in line six in um, in The Persuaders is worth a shout. Goldie one. Yeah, the yeah. Um, I saw that was um, one of those car fairs down in Cornwall near where I, I live. That very Goldie DBS. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Neil Clifford's hopping about on his, his I can see one cheek leaping to another. So he <laughs> wants to tell us what he wants to tell us. Come on. Well, this is turning into a bit of a film review, hopefully. Um, there's a movie called On Any Sunday. Oh, oh I, movie. I'm sure we've all seen it. But if you haven't seen it, please Mert. go and buy the Mert. 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 And, and Malcolm Smith. And these amazing... I mean, as we, we all know, I'm an optimist. I think the future's always better. But you know what? I'd have loved to live in California in the late 60s, early 70s. Everyone was handsome. The sky was always blue. No one was fat. They had beautiful clothing, the colours, and the free-spiritedness of it all. And this is about Steve McQueen and his love of motorbikes and the journey that he made of, you know, he did his films for his work because he happened to be a decent-ish actor and he was so handsome that everyone wanted it. But his thing was riding motorbikes, riding Bull Taco 400s <clears throat> across the desert. So this movie is wonderful. Please, everyone should see it. But the, the, the car in it, actually, it's not really a car. It's a van. There's this guy called Malcolm, Malcolm Smith and how he travels with his mates across America in the back of this Ford sort of camper stroke pickup van with their motorbikes. They sleep in the back. They park in the desert. They light a fire. They cook their dinner. They make a, some coffee. And they just have this wonderful, free-spirited, no-ties life, which I think if we all live, a lot of us live in a corporate world and, you know, we've all got mortgages and kids and worries and anxiety and shit. And these guys were just driving around America in the back of a van with two motorbikes, having the most incredible time. And I think we do have to talk about camper vans and escaping more. That has yes. to be subject at some point because that feeling of just being in the desert and no one that's before mobile phones, before GPS yeah. and fucking ways and all this yeah. stuff. No one knew where you were. And you were just sat there having a coffee with your mate and having a sausage sandwich at midnight. Fantastic. And that's we all we all yearn for that a little bit. I do anyway. Bruce Brown. Um made that film and oh. he, he's far better known for um his his surf documentaries which were called endless summer but actually this is a much better piece of work i think and the soundtrack if, if you look oh, it up the soundtrack is uh, is off the scale and also to acknowledge we have to acknowledge this the little boy doing the wheelie at the beginning yeah it, it, it is so is just such a gorgeous moment he's got so much control he's yeah. just altering the pitch of the wheelie with his ass on the seat and it's just being tracked clearly from the back of probably Malcolm's van, isn't it? It's what it looks like. It's yeah, just it's like a little rally chipper. You know, there's a yeah. smaller version of the Grifter in red. I watch, I watch that once a month. I watch it. I just, it's a glorious. For anyone, anyone that comes anywhere near my man cave at home, it's always on. So I just switch the telly on, get my CD remote, and press play, and there it is. And it's playing. And oh. also, that'll get you into flat track. Flat track with the metal shoe. 
Wow. You can, you know, yeah. you know there's a flat track school in, uh, in California. You can go and learn to flat track. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, oh. Okay. That, I'm now super excited. Chris Cooper, what's next? So I, that late 60s, we've all seen the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Haven't we? Quentin Tarantino Good. film. Um, it's a really interesting story. And because clearly at the end of it, I won't, most people have seen it. It sort of, it changes history. Sharon Tate isn't killed by the Charlie Manson gang and they all live happily ever after and so forth. But that feel and that vibe in that movie was just so, so wonderful. So yeah, I, I, I like you, Neil, I, I could go back to that. I could go back to that. So um, I kind of got, I've got an obvious one and a less of, and a really weird one. The obvious one is I found No Time to Die really emotional because I didn't expect him to die. Yes. And in that last scene where uh, his girlfriend and their daughter were driving that same, and, and the, the lines that that V8 Vantage was carving through proper lines that we would look at and say, that's a nice line, just gently tipping it in, letting it load, squeezing it, and just feeling that bit where you want to... Um, just wonderful. And from the helicopter shots, it was wonderful. So that AM, Aston Martin V8 Vantage, um, when she ends with that line, his name was Bond, James Bond, that was just, it summed up that wonderful sort of feeling. Um, the other one's a bit weird, mm. uh, but it, I think I really enjoyed it at the time. Some of you will have seen that really interesting, it's a bit nerdy, that Porsche series about Michael Fassbender, the actor, going to Le Mans, Road to Le Mans. Really, really interesting. It's on YouTube, all on YouTube. It's beautifully made, really interesting. It's not, it's beautifully made, but it's quite raw. It's quite honest, particularly for Michael Fassbender when he actually gets to Le Mans. So I was thinking about some of the films that he'd been in, and he was in a not great film, sorry, Michael, a not great film in 2017 called The Snowman, which was about a policeman, I think in Sweden, with a few problems, mental health, alcohol problems, with as a, ever, all these Swedish I was going to say, man, how hard is it to get into the movie writing business? I looked at look at this stuff, <laughs> but in but the best bit about that film for me, he had a sort of an orangey uh, G wagon, clear glass, not glitzy, a practical workman like God, it just looks so cool. I could watch that film again for the orange. Galanda Wagen. It was brilliant. So those are my two. I like the fact a G-Wagon lures you into a film. Edward Love it. How do you follow that given you have got several G-Wagons? Well, firstly, I'm pleased you said Bond because we are so lucky to have Bond. Yeah. And for car people, every movie resonates because of the car. And and actually, when I was looking at other movies, you know, most movies have some sort of car connotation in there somewhere in the movie. And it's that's the bit that I remember. But I'm going to show you a picture because I'm not a movie star. I can't. No, I won't hear that. Car. I can't go back to Hollywood in the 50s or 60s and be that. But one thing we could all do, we could actually replicate this. We are in control of this. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. we could Canon go ball. and do the cannonball run quietly, obviously. Don't tell anyone we're going to do it and race yeah. from one side of America to the other. Would I want to be in the Daytona giving white silk scarfs out to beautiful ladies that drive past and then pull another white silk scarf out once you've given the one across? Or would I like to be in the Cobra? 
one of those. I don't mind. That's brilliant. I really love that. It's a great but, idea. We've got to do that. Yeah. Oh, that would end really well, that would. Can you oh, imagine? Oh, what yeah. a way to go. Yeah. I could also imagine me being Ferris Bueller, but I wouldn't um, be winding the mileage back and putting it into the ditch outside the house. I would have just crashed it on the way into town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have been, I looked a bit like the car parking attendant that went and jumped it off the bloody road, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> or the one who goes, a whole five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'd like you guys to know where to start with this. So actually, I thought it's a bit like Desert Island this, this. Does one use this as a forum to demonstrate how how um, yeah, how much you know about alternative film and how windswept and interesting you are and just and just how broad your interests are, or do you just yes. be honest about the fact that when you were younger there was a film that really got you and the car's a bit shameful now, but every time you see it, it gives you a massive lump in your throat. And for me, it's Rocky Balboa, Lamborghini Yalpa in the in the tunnel, Rocky Rocky Four, and you sing yeah, it. Robert that. Teppers, there's no easy way out. Apollo's just died. If I put it, if I put it on the telly now, I'll probably be crying because it for me, I don't even yeah. want a Yalpa. I I don't even get it. But it's open gated. It's sly wearing that Adidas bloody tracksuit with the with the Italian colours on it, and I just I love the song. And I and for me, just they 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 captured the noise of the car as well. Every time I see it, it's the coolest car in any film. I don't even want one. A Lamborghini Yalpa. The Yalpa. That's a good Can car. I, I think, I think cool. there was a Lamborghini Yalpa in, he, it was driven by, what was the thing with the, the Colbys? It was the spin-off of Dynasty. But, but the point oh, is that it's called the Colbys. The guys, I think his name was Jeff, who had a Lamborghini Yalpa. Did he? Or a silhouette. I can't remember which of the two, but yeah. he had one. Uh, I think it'd been a Halper, yeah. Silhouette came after it, didn't it? It's the same car, basically. Exactly. Yeah. I just can't yeah. remember which yeah. of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, there's a Kunt. You always think when you watch Rocky Four, there's a, there's a bloody Kuntash parked in front of it. If you're going to go out and have a rip to say goodbye to your mate that's just died, why would you take the eight when there's a 12? You just wouldn't do it, would you? Now, it's very funny that Lamborghini comes up a lot more in our emotional connection than Ferrari. Maybe we're a bit embarrassed to say Ferrari, but... Lamborghini has something, doesn't it, as a brand? I think also, I, I was reading about the Persuaders a while back about them trying to score a Dino for, for the film and they, or for the show. And I asked Martin quite happily to give them a car. Apparently to get hold of that Dino was an absolute ball ache. They started yeah. asking much should they buy one. You see it's on Prover plates, I think, or it's on an, a moderner plate, but definitely it's a development plate. Uh, so I think actually for a while, Enzo wasn't happy giving cars out to films. So that that's why the Ferruccio was giving out a load more cars. He thought, well, this is free marketing. Yes. There should be a Ferrari in there. I, th I think that for, there was a real, there wasn't, there was, a, yeah, there was a dearth of, um, of Ferraris in films. There was a bit of a story on Aston with the DB5, wasn't there? Wasn't that supposed to be something else? I can't remember. Obviously, well, yeah. he drove... He drove a Bentley in real life in the books. Obviously, I haven't read the bloody books, but I think there was a deal with something else, and then that fell through. Maybe Jaguar or something, and then he took an Aston. We will have it. We'll have some someone clever who's listening. Yeah. Confirm. Yeah. Now yeah. we ought to move on to our two car garage because we're definitely running over a bit here. I apologise. So, the two car garage this week. I'll read it out. I don't know who this was written by. Um, <laughs> You are a socially awkward man who has been contributing to a motoring podcast alongside some other people with similar issues. You have £35,000 to spend on a convertible with vaguely usable rear seats. 
And because this bit is called the two-car garage, you'd better have another 15,000 to spend on a hatchback that is both hot and was built between 1985 and 1991. Um, I'm gonna go first with Edward Lovett. I'm very proud of my choices this week. <laughs> I think everyone is. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know, this uh, podcast is sponsored by collectingcars.com. <laughs> and if you <laughs> venture onto the website and check out the sold section, from now on, most of our two car garages will have to come from the sold section of collecting cars. Now, the reason I say this is one of the things when we started uh, collecting cars is that I didn't really think it would work quite like this, but I can see it. And when we went up to Bicester at the weekend and and you you sort of uh, arrive with sort of a random group of people that certain cars clearly resonate from time to time. And we end up talking amongst ourselves. They might be cheap. They might be expensive. And you, you're either asking someone to talk you into buying it or talk you out of buying it. So the two car, the two seat with two rear seat cars for your budget, Christopher, because you're the socially awkward person that came up with this uh, um, this theme this week, was a car that uh, Chris Cooper asked us about a week ago to say, "Am I mad to be looking at this car?" And I had four people that week say to me, "I'm looking at a car on your website uh, that's ending uh, this weekend," and it was all it was all the same car, and it was the very pretty. Yeah green db9 volante which yeah. sold a little bit over it sold for thirty six thousand two hundred and fifty pounds but i think that's a beautiful car right i couldn't care less about the gearbox or that chris uh harris talked you out of it and told you to buy an m6 cabriolet um but that that's where my um my thirty five thousand and a bit has gone and then my the hot hatch chris did you say what era it had to be from you did it. To I couldn't have been more specific, Edward. And even if you ignored that, no, I didn't. I didn't ignore. It. I didn't know if you just said it then. I, I'm very proud of this, and I'm sure you're going to abuse me. It's a Nissan Pulsar GTI R. Nice, good car. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how you get on 15k though. You haven't, you haven't got. You haven't got enough money though, have you? Yeah, I'm not sure we can pay I mean, for it. Yeah, but you know, it's 1990. It also, it's also, it also brings Maybe. in one of the great arguments that is, can a hot hatch be a hot hatch if it's four wheel drive from that era? I think of that as a rally homologation special. A hot hatch, by definition, back then was two wheel drive. Yeah. It was you a didn't bike. say that. No, you can have it, Edward, because, <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. Talk, because your Ed would love it and no one says no to you. Right, <laughs> off we go. Uh, Neil Clifford. By being dyslexic, I didn't really re read it properly. <laughs> And I've only spent 35 grand. So I've got 15 grand to spend on driving shoes. Um, <laughs> I'm, only spending, I'm spending 15 grand, uh, 35 I'm grand, off. sorry. Uh, look, the four-seater Cabriolet is a niche that is so wonderful, particularly in manual. I think, you know, we've all done the Mercs. We've all done the E320 Sportline. I know Chris has got one. I even had an E36 that was so fucking underwhelming. So I think you've got to have manual, really. I've gone classic, and they're really hard to find these because they've all been sort of ruined in slough, to be honest. But the E30 325 Motorsport in Macau blue oh. with the bubble leather. Oh, no, cloth! Right. No, no, I'd go bubble leather. I don't know why, because it was that special motorsport thing with hard top. 
you know, from factory, okay. you've found the one guy that has kept it from new. It's got the original dealer plates, the air conditioning still bloody works. I mean, this car doesn't exist because I've been looking for it for about 12 years, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. That engine, as we've talked about before, is fabulous. It's much yeah. better than the E30 M3 engine. It's got so much torque. It's got a lovely noise. You can fit your kids in the back as long as they're under three or even better, just your dog and leave your kids at home. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's the prettiest four-seater modern Cabriolet. Okay, you go back to 60s Mercedes, that's a different thing. And then I think that's 20 grand, be it that ca that car doesn't exist because it probably isn't. Bit more than that now, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit more. Of course, it is. Um, and I've gone and bought a Renault Clio Williams, obviously the first series, yeah, with the numbered plate as opposed to the blaggy one yeah. that they then made loads because it's all they pissed everybody off. Yeah, it's got velour. It's got yes. the it's got the blue dials copied from Alpina. It's got this lovely little dial that clicks over on the oil pressure and goes back to zero. So it's it's maybe not quite a 205 1.9 GTI really, really, but it's super cool and it's blue. It's got the gold wheels and everyone comes up and says, because I have owned one of these, is that a Series 1? And you say, of course it is. Is there <laughs> another kind? Yes, because I don't have power steering. Surely you know everything about this car. And that's that's what you do. And no ABS, actually, I think. Yeah, probably how, how not. How much is that car? How much is that car, Neil? 15. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's probably a bit more, but don't forget, he saved that, and he had another 15. Yeah. So he actually had 30 to buy that, Willie, and I suspect it wouldn't be far off that, I reckon. A good series yeah, one. could be. Um, one did go yeah. for 22 on uh, collectingcars.com. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I bought it. <laughs> so, so I did. I didn't know they are actually more than fifty grand. Was that that was Jason? That was Jason's car, wasn't it? Well, I bought it just because Jason is such a lovely man and needed the money. <laughs> oh God, this is just this. This is all too nice. Uh, Manish, what's your two car garage going to be? Well, I'm going to go for a 1985 Ferrari box. I'm going for the. I found one for forty thousand dollars on an American website, but. It's, the Mondial 3.2 Cabriolet. And have, you, have you ever seen, have you seen the pictures of the Pope when he went to Maranello? That mm -hmm. is the car that he stands in the back of. I, I'm, no one says they're good. And you, you might be a bit late to this, but two years ago, yeah. I persuaded Edwards to buy one from collecting cars. I still have it. We're still restoring <laughs> it. Because when I went, when I stood in it, my foot went through the floor. <laughs> it's had to have a whole new floor put on it. And the individual that's restoring it for me is having a little break from uh, <laughs> working life at the moment. So it's just sitting in my shed. And I'm already eight grand into it. And I think we paid 20 something. So it's, but it is a genuine four-seater, mate. It's a four-seater. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can get your feet into the back. Oh, and I don't know if it will run. And then this is a little bit boring, but I have to say when they first came out, I, it turned my head on the road every time, especially when they came in that classic black, black um cloth seats but it was the mark ii volkswagen golf gti 16 valve nice i Two think doors. that's just classic car yeah yeah hard to go wrong absolutely yeah classic. Uh, chris cooper so uh i have also got that green db9 volante on my list that went for 36k and I, good man that was um a lot of i mean as neil you said when we we're going through it 
name me another four seat V12 convertible for that money. And there isn't one. So I kind of cheat myself a bit about that. And then we talked earlier about the B3.3 Cabriolet, which I cocked up as well. So, and the other one, and this is, I nearly bought one of these in period, Maserati Grand Cabrio. Oh, they're they're down now at 35, 36K. I mean, they're a bit rubbish. Lovely engine. They look great. And they've got proper four seats. Wonderful. So there's a lot you could do for 35K for that. Um, There was a 325 convertible that JK, a garage was selling it. It was grey. Grey with red. Yeah, grey with red. Non-motorsport. Oh, I wish I'd gone. But that was about Yeah, it's a good car, that. That was a lovely one. Uh, Hatchback. Did you know in the 1989 World Rally Championship, because that was not long after Group B had gone, so it was a Group A and Group N Championship, there were 13 rounds, one of which was the Ivory Coast in English. The winner, the overall winner of the 1989 Ivory Coast WRC round was a Renault 5 GT Turbo. Oh. That's what I'd have. If I couldn't find one I liked, then you go for the... 720 kilogram it's made literally of hopes and tears axgt oh i was gonna do the axg 86 horsepower my my twin brother mike had one um must have been about 89 90 and we would rock it around these roads in the west of wales where my parents used to live and uh it just he was he's a very good driver and he just the way it sort of just rolled and carved and just finger you know, but it, it's made of Baco foil. I mean, you wouldn't want to hit a curb in one. But yeah, so that's why. One of those two. I think you've met my mate Tony from Cornwall, haven't you? Yes. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mate Tony from Cornwall. Big Tone. He's six foot four. He's a unit. He must be, you know, he's, he's north of 17 stone. He's a big boy. But he's, as in physically, he's built. Yes, he, had he's a, a- he had an AXGT when we were young. <laughs> and he had a massive shunt down in Cornwall in it. And he came out of the rear side window, still <laughs> in the seat. <laughs> in the seat. Uh, a, it's unbelievable. When you see the picture of the wreckage, how it, there's a shout out for you, Tony. I know you listen to this, but your accident in the AXGT is still the most baffling thing I've ever seen. Why you're still here, I don't know. The um, Martin Baker seat. Can you imagine? It, it, was, uh, it was outrageous. And it, the rear window as well. Wasn't the oh, side window? It was the rear side window. The AXGT. That's quite an achievement. I've still yeah, got yeah. one. I love the fact that the French designed a cup holder in the door bin that could fit a bottle of burgundy in the door bin. <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. manage, if you see it, you can, you yeah. can get both. You can, it just fits a bottle of red burgundy. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. But Clara, it's a bit tight. Sorry, <laughs> Clara, it moves around too much. Red burgundy, it's a bit better. Um, so for me, um, I'm going with the M6 cab. I keep looking at them. Oh, I'm yeah. going to end up with one. I, I, I just... I'll tell you two things. It's a it's a car that it does drive well, and it's got a canvas roof. And the older I get, the more I want my convertibles to have yeah, a canvas definitely. roof, not one of these metal folding jobbies. Um, and I and my hot hatch, I think I, I think I want to buy something that in period I didn't have the bollocks to buy, or there weren't many around. Uh, I'd like a Polo G40 because they made a supercharger well, Polo. Yeah. It looked yeah. great. And I reckon with some more, if you took that to Motec now, it'd probably mm. have 180 horsepower because they could map the shit out of it. Yeah. And then I'd get a really poppy exhaust and I'd find out where Edward Lovett lived and I'd drive up and down his <laughs> popping and farting. Um, now, we're going to take, take a, a pause in proceedings and we're going to change the pace of this because for some reason we've decided that our music choices for this week need to be tunes that make you want to weep. 
and crying behind the, the wheel of a car is absolutely acceptable, probably as, a, a, as good a place anywhere to do it. But we're a bit joyous at the moment. So let's just try and be a little bit more calm. Let's take the emotional temperature down a bit. And I'm going to ask Manish, what would you put music wise in a car if you wanted to have one of those contemplative moments that just made your heart leap a bit? There's a piece of music by Vangelis, which was originally composed for Blade Runner. It's called Rachel Song. It didn't actually make the movie, but it's just uh, a soul woman. She's just howling. And that's just to a very quiet xylophone and synthesizer. And it just builds and builds. And the reason why this makes me cry is actually, um, we were trying to find when we made Senna, the perfect piece of music for the aftermath of his accident and his funeral. And we had to make a little eight minute movie, Asif and I, and uh, we did that with sort of YouTube clips and bits of Grand Prix and news clips. And we put Rachel's song on the aftermath of the accident right through to his funeral. And it ended with the, with, you know, with, the, with, the, with his sort of gravestone, his horizontal gravestone. And you hear this woman's haunting, haunting voice as Brazilians are sort of breaking down. And it just, it kills me every time I hear it. Go and listen to it. It's on, on, on the list. Uh, uh, Neil Clifford. I cry a lot to music. I think, I think it's, a, it's a healthy thing, crying. I think I've got better at it as I've got older as well, which maybe is, 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 is a good thing. We should all have a little cry if we can. Um, there's one song which I can't talk about, which I will cry even when I say the title. So my second, my sort of second position on the crying front is actually it's, it's crying, but it's also super optimistic. I'm, I'm sticking with America. I'm pretending I'm still in Miami, not in Farringdon. And I'm going Joni Mitchell because I'm sticking to my folk music and a wonderful, wonderful, velvety, incredible voice. And both sides now, Joni Mitchell, yeah. which is you know, it's as, it's sad, but it's not. It's about how you look at life, where the clouds make you happy, make you sad. It's about, frankly, money doesn't make you happy. Having millions of cars doesn't make you happy. It's about how you look at life and you can look at it bad or look at it good. And it's the same thing you're looking at. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful song. And when I want to be sad but happy in one song that's the one i play she was um, wrong on all fronts but she was wrong about cars because you, you do need a lot of cars because yeah. she, she was yeah the yeah the yellow taxi thing was maybe a bit wrong wasn't it but it's still a good track isn't it? it's it you know what it's sensational and, and and i there's that yeah rather moving scene in um in the in the in that pop film love actually when it's played right. yeah. they're there going oh bloody hell welling up okay chris cooper yeah. So we we talked a bit about this last night, didn't we? About um, what makes us cry, and that all of us, no matter how seemingly unemotional we are, have those moments and those things. And I I, I I'm going to write a book about this one day, so everyone will hear what this is about. But there was a, an episode in my professional life where I, I had to make a, a number of quite difficult choices uh, um, to help an organisation, and. The parable of that was turning despair into hope. And I find turning despair into hope actually quite emotional. And I, I even thinking about it last night when I was writing my little story to the rest of the guys, found myself a little bit tearful. So 
things that turn despair into hope or about hope, and I think it's about our our long running and eternal thread of optimism. Um, I find Nimrod by Elgar oh, yes. a total guarantee. Absolutely. I've yeah. got to be in a moving car, can't be in traffic, can't be at traffic lights. Nimrod by Elgar just does it every time. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Christ. Uh, and anyone that's a big fan of Ed Reardon's week will know that Elgar, the name of the cat, it always resonates. Um, uh, Edward, what's yours going to be? Well, I think I admitted this last. I'm not sure I get emotional to music personally. <laughs> it, it makes me feel all su- types of different ways. That, that I probably do, but I, I can't actually put, I can't think of what the song is. I Two things make me, uh, my eyes uh, well up. One of them's fucking hay fever, which (laughs) 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 we're right in the middle of at the moment. Where does she live? Hay fever. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, you are a you're a project lover. You are. You're a fucking project. But the other thing, and this is why I asked Neil last night uh, or last week what he listened to on the way to to Miami, but. Most movies I watch on a plane on long haul, I well up to. That's now, true. And, and there is something about being in the sky. Chris, you told me uh, tomato juice in the sky ta- just tastes so sweet and lovely. But I think apparently watching movies in the sky does just make you well up. So, And, and it almost doesn't matter what that yeah. movie is. And I, I just can't correlate a song to those emotions, but uh, I'll next time I'm flying somewhere and I have a little weep, I'll I'll try and figure out what I'm listening to. But I have no song for you. Tr- truly extraordinary answer, as I expected. I I, th- I knew it was going to be uh, emotion emotionally a bit of a vacuum, but I didn't realise it was going to be quite as brutal as that. But it's um, <laughs> it's, lo- it's lovely to have it confirmed. Right, like I, the most telling thing for me is that Neil Clifford did exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> there are there is one song. Uh, but it, but I think like all these things, it's very personal, and I I couldn't even say it. So I'm going to go for number two, hmm. uh, and I have to say that for me, um, I revert back to my youth and my uh, what I used to listen to uh, in the car with parents, and it's the Bach cello suites that just oh. get me every time, particularly the prelude to the first one. I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm yeah, you have to be moving. But it's it's an extraordinary piece of music, and every time I hear it, it just go, oh my god, lump in throat. But go and go and listen to it in the car because you. As, this is the other thing about about tunes that we associate with maybe having a watery eye moment is that it might mean something totally different to someone else, and the context in which they first listen to it might be joyous. So you might go and listen to the Bach Cello Suites as you're seeing your child perform something brilliant, and you might have made that association with it. That's the great thing about music. Uh, so there's there's some good choices there, but I'd say Bach cello sweets. I, I defy anyone not to have a bit of a lump listening to that. Mm. Um, right, I think that concludes our business for the week. No, no, there's one final thing. We have a request of our audience. We do. We need your help. Mm-hmm. Manish Pandey has been finding many excuses not to buy a particular car. Oh, oh, am I allowed to? True. Am I allowed to? Just find it for me. We would like to be offered a Ferrari (laughs) 456M GT manual. UK right hand drive, Manish? Please, please. Fine. If you have one, get in touch with us. With warranty. 
with with <laughs> with warranty. <laughs> yeah. Needs to be one owner from you, five thousand miles. Yeah, green over tan. <laughs> oh, fantastic! And if you've got if you've got two, I'll have the other one because I just yeah. think they're gorgeous, and it's the, probably the best Ferrari I drove in my first few years of doing this job. I want it so badly, please. please. And a B6, and a B6 for 50 quid for uh, Chris's yeah. birthday present. <laughs> We've got some demands this week. Thank you very much for enduring another Collecting Addicts podcast. We'll be back next week. Have a lovely time in the interim. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.